0: Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salatu wa salam wa ala al al-Mustafa wa ba Starting with the first surah of the Qur'an and the first surah that we will endeavor and try to understand together is Surah Al-Fatiha Al-Fatiha in English means the opening and the first thing we'd like to look at is why is this surah so special? We all know as Muslims that we read this surah 17 times a day at the very minimum but what makes it special as a surah? There are two ahadith or two reports of the Prophet وسلم, that tell us what makes this surah special. The first is the hadith of Abu Sa'id ibn al-Mu'alla عنه, where he says that one day a man was praying in the masjid and the Prophet وسلم, called him, but the man continued praying. When he finished, the Prophet وسلم, said to him, did I not call you? He said, yes, but I was praying. So the Prophet وسلم, quotes to him an ayah in the Qur'an that, O oh, believers, Respond to Allah and His Messenger that whenever Allah or His Messenger calls you you have to break your Salah, stop what you're doing and immediately turn to them. He then said to him would you like me to tell you or to teach you what is the, mo- the greatest Surah in the Quran? He then took the man's hand and as they were leaving the message the man reminded him of what the Prophet promised to teach him. The Prophet Alaihi Wasallam said the greatest surah in the Qur'an is Alhamdulillahi meaning Surah Al-Fatiha. And then he says it is the Sab'ul Mathani and the Great Qur'an that was revealed to me. Or the seven oft-repeated verses and the Great Qur'an that was described to me. This last sentence might be slightly confusing. And that's because it refers to another ayah in the Qur'an where Allah says to the Prophet Sallallahu لَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ مِنَ وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ That, O oh Prophet, we have given you seven constantly repeated verses of the Qur'an, and we've given you the immense Qur'an, or the great Qur'an. So many scholars of tafsir have said that the seven verses Allah is referring to is Surah Al-Fatiha, and they use this hadith, this report, to say that. What do we learn from this hadith? We learn from this hadith that the Surah Al-Fatiha is the greatest complete Surah in the Qur'an. There may be individual ayahs in the Qur'an that have a special status, like Ayatul Kursi. That Ayatul Kursi, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa is the greatest ayah in the Qur'an from another narration that we know. However, the greatest complete Surah in the Qur'an is Surah Al-Fatiha. And why is that? We may ask the question, since all of it is Allah's word, why is some better than the other? In the sense of it being Allah's word, yes, the Quran is equal. All of it is Allah's word. However, Surah Al-Fatiha summarizes all of the most important meanings in the Quran in one compact surah, and that's why we read it 17 times a day. The second way we know, the second hadith that we that tell us that tells us the importance of Surah Al-Fatiha, is the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiAllahu anhu who tells us that the Prophet Allahu conveyed to us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that whenever one of us says Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Allah immediately responds my slave has praised me when we say al rahman Ar-Raheem Allah immediately responds my slave has extolled me or magnified me and when we say as we go on the surah when we say Iyaka na'budu wa ista'in, Allah says this is a deal or an agreement between me and my slave and my slave will have what he asks for, etc etc. The amazing thing about this hadith is that there is no surah in the Quran that has this specialty. Ibn Rajab rahimahullah, said that what this hadith really means is that whenever anybody reads Surah fatiha in Salah Allah responds to them, every ayah that they, that they recite, Allah immediately responds to them in appreciation. That is the greatness and that is the the amazing nature of this Surah that we are about to explore. What we also understand from this Hadith is that Surah Al-Fatiha's meanings are divided into two halves. Because in this second Hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he tells us that Allah says, I divided Salah into two halves. By Salah, he actually means Surah Al-Fatiha. And that's what adds to the greatness of Surah Al-Fatiha, that there is no salah if it wasn't for Surah Al-Fatiha, as it comes in, in another hadith. li man lam لم bi fatihatil kitab." There's no salah for someone who hasn't read or recited in this salah, Surah Al-Fatiha, that salah is invalid. Another important point we learn from this hadith is that the first half of Surah Al-Fatiha is entirely us praising Allah and us describing who He is and being amazed at who He is. And Allah responds by appreciating them. And the second half of Surah Al-Fatiha, when we say, al-Mustaqim, al-ladin until the end of the surah. It's us asking Allah. So the first half of Suratul Fatiha is us praising Allah, and the second half is us asking from Allah. And this is generally the way that we should make dua, the way that we should speak to Allah and converse with Him and ask Him for things. We shouldn't just ask Him for what we want. We should show some respect, show some reverence, praise him, thank him with his names and his attributes, and then ask him for whatever we wish to ask. Ask for this is the etiquette of du'a. This is the way, the correct way in which we should be asking Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Let's now look at the first three ayahs of Suratul Fatiha, considering that Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, according to some scholars, is an ayah. Let's first look at Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. That sentence is usually translated as in the name of allah the most gracious or the most compassionate the most merciful the first thing we need to understand is that the sentence in arabic al-Rahim" assumes that you're doing something and that the thing that you're doing comes at the end of the sentence so just imagine for example that you're eating so you'd say i eat in the name of allah the most gracious the most merciful if you're writing You'd be saying, "I write in the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, the Most Merciful." It's one of those things that's unsaid; it's implied, but it is really part of the sentence. And so, the scholars of Tafsir and Sheikh Saleh Al-Ursayni mentions that there's an implied verb of whatever you're doing at the end of Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, which means that when we say Bismillah, it's connected to what we are doing at that time. It's actually a dua, a, a supplication that we're making to Allah. To give us assistance and help and tawfiq, divine aid in whatever we're about to do. That ba, when we say in the name of Allah, it means so many things in the Arabic language. Like with Allah's assistance, with Allah's help, um, without Allah I would not be able to do what I'm doing at the moment. So with the complete translation of Bismillah rahman rahim would be that with Allah's help and assistance I'm eating with Allah the most gracious the most merciful his help and assistance and the ability he's given me I'm reading the Quran so that's the meaning of Ar-Rahman rahmanir rahim the complete meaning now let's look at the words or the names ar-rahmanir rahim this comes later on in the surah but if it's the very first thing somebody reads in the Quran it's quite powerful because it's Allah's introduction to himself now the name Allah before we look at ar-rahmanir rahim the name Allah is what's called Al-Ismul Ahsan, the most beautiful or the greatest name of Allah, according to some scholars. And literally the word Allah means Al-Ilah Al-Mustahaqqulil Ibadah, the God that really deserves worship. Now looking at Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim are two words that denote mercy. They're both to do with mercy and they come from the same root letters Rahima, to do with mercy and being merciful. But they mean two different things. They're linked with mercy in two different ways. Ar-Rahman is to do with Allah's description or His quality of being a merciful Creator. And Ar-Rahim is to do with the way He reaches that mercy to His creation. So they relate it to mercy in two different ways. Ar-Rahman relates to Allah being the most extremely, all-encompassingly merciful, as a description of who He is. And Ar-Rahim is how He spreads that mercy and reaches it to His slaves. That's the explanation of Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Surah al after the Bismillah Ayah starts with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen is usually translated as praise, but it doesn't really mean praise, in fact it's very hard to translate. Alhamd in Sheikh Saleh al-Usaini's text, he explains it as being al 'an sifat al al wa which means to speak about something's good qualities while having love, reverence and appreciation for that thing. That's quite a detailed explanation, so let's unpack it. Hamd is very different from praise. Because you could praise somebody or something for some kind of benefit. Like you could praise your manager to get a promotion, or you could praise your friend just to massage their self-esteem. But hamd is not when you just praise something, but you genuinely and sincerely appreciate those qualities in whatever you're praising. And you also have love for it, or him or her, or whatever it is that you're praising. Hamd is also quite different from thanks. Sometimes alhamd is translated as thanks to Allah to do shukr to do thanks we usually say thank you to somebody after they've done a favor to us and that's the difference between shukr thanking somebody or something and hamd because in hamd you're not thanking you're not praising or thanking you're not praising somebody because they've done something for you you're praising them because of certain good qualities that they have that you're appreciating and you're recognizing whether they've done something for you or not so that's what alhamd means it is praising allah sincerely and genuinely with love and reverence for him regardless of whether he gives you anything or he doesn't give you anything and we're saying this hamd it belongs to allah he deserves it alhamdulillah rabbil alameen now alam literally means um a world and it's used specifically, as Sheikh Saleh al-Usaymi says, it refers to a particular category of Allah's creation. So the world of the jinn, the world of human beings, the world of the animals, the world of the angels. Allah is the creator or the master of all of these worlds. Now we'll come to the word Rabb. Rabb in the Arabic language is usually translated into English as Lord or Master. However, in Arabic, Rabb is not just the master of something in, in a master-slave relationship. Rab is also the one that manages all the day-to-day affairs or something, all the nuts and bolts. Make sure that make sure that all, everything in this universe is moving and working in the correct way. Rab is also not just associated with lordship and power and dominion, it's also associated with caring and nurturing for something from tarbiyah in the Arabic language. And that's why Shaykh Saleh Al-Usaini says that when Allah mentions that He is the Rabb, the Master, the originator, the one who's managing the day-to-day affairs, the nurturer, the cultivator of everybody on earth, He straightway mentions ar rahman Ar-Rahim because Allah would not use... His position as Rabb, as Master, as the one in power to abuse His creation, to oppress and be unjust and unfair to His creation. And straight away that's why He balances it out with His other attributes and qualities which is Ar-Rahman, ar rahim Two qualities of Allah which we've already discussed when we looked at the Basmala At Bismillah Ar-Rahman ar rahim Now we look at the ayah Maliki Yomuddin which literally means the owner or the king of the Day of Judgment. Now first of all, we know that Allah is the owner or the king of everything, not just the Day of Judgment. So why did He highlight the Day of Judgment? Shaykh Salih al-Usaymi points out that it's because before the Day of Judgment, all of us have the assumption or the illusion that we actually own things. I'm the owner of my car, of my house, of my phone. But on the Day of Judgment, when we stand there in front of Allah with no possessions, no ownership, nothing to our names, Allah's ownership of everything and his kingdom and dominion and power of everything will become clear to us on that day. That's why Allah highlights Maliki or the king or the owner of the Day of Judgment. It is you we worship and it is only you we ask for help. The first thing to note is the structure of this sentence in the Arabic language. In the Arabic language, you would usually say, نَعْبُدُ إِيَّاكَ وَنَسْتَعِينُ إِيَّاكَ We worship you. And we seek your help. However, the object has been brought early on in the sentence. Let me give you an English example. Say you wanted, um, say you wanted to read a book to somebody. You would say, "I read this book to you." Now, say you brought the object early on in the sentence. You would say, "It is to you I read this book." The effect this has in the Arabic language is it gives what's called إختصاص, this kind of. Special or exclusive treatment of the object of your worship or your reading or whatever the verb is in that sentence So in this case, rather than just saying we worship you and we seek your help It becomes it is only you we worship, it is only you we seek your help That's the effect of the order of the sentence The second point is that in this ayah Allah mentions two acts, of, two acts that we do only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or only for Allah the first one is worship, which is called in Arabic عبادة. And عبادة is defined by the author is تألّه القلب بالله, القلب بالله uh, بالحب والخضوع bil wal is a heart being your heart being devoted to Allah, showing devotion to Allah or deifying, making Allah the object of your worship, with love and reverence, and how do we worship Allah? Can we worship Allah in any way we want? No. So he says, the author says, well, The way to worship Allah or the parameter, the framework in which we show our devotion, love and reverence, hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is by what is called the shari'a. The shari'a is the framework for life that Allah has revealed in the Quran and exemplified in the Prophet's actions. It is all the do's and don'ts. It is all the the ways in which Allah teaches us to worship Him and the ways He tells us not to worship worship Him. It's all the things He tells us to do and to avoid. All of this, following those things and being in conformity with those things is the best way to worship Allah. For example, Allah tells us to pray five times a day. If one of us were to say, I'm going to hop up on one foot three times a day and I'm going to show my devotion to Allah. That's obviously not a form of ibadah, not a form of showing your devotion, love and reverence to Allah because you didn't do it according to his sharia, according to his commandments and according to his guidelines. The second question is, what is isti'ana? Isti'ana is to seek help. Now, when we say we only seek help from Allah, does it mean we can't ask anybody for help? That's not true. What it means is that certain things which only Allah can help us with, we will only turn to Allah to seek help. And when we seek help from any human being, we know that they are only a path, a means to getting Allah's ultimate help. So in the end, we only seek help from Allah, in all cases and as much as we can. And now let's look at the last few ayahs of Surah Al-Fatiha. Allah says in Surah Al-Fatiha, الصِّرَاطَ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الضَّالِّينَ This last part of Suratul Al-Fatiha is a du'a. Du'a means it is a supplication or us calling out to Allah, asking Him for something and requesting Him for something. We already mentioned early on in the tafsir of this surah that the first part of Suratul fatiha is us praising Allah. And the second part of Suratul fatiha is us asking from Allah. This is a question that we ask Allah and a request we make of Him at the very least 17 times a day, which is us asking Allah for guidance. Hidayah in the Arabic language means guidance, but there are two types of guidance: Hidayatul Irshad and Hidayatul Tawfiq. Guidance in the sense of pointing you in the right, right direction, and guidance in the sense of you actually acting on that direction and acting on the instructions. I'll give you an example. The Prophet Muhammad SAW, he can do Hidayatul Irshad. He can point people in the right way, tell them what's right and wrong, and explain to them what Islam is. But he can't force them to believe. He can't give them the ability and opportunity to do the good deeds. That's up to them. And the only one who has control of that is Allah ta'ala. So he's able to guide in both ways. And guidance is something that we need and we always are in need of, to stay on track. Now we ask Allah to guide us to the straight path. The straight path is a, is a metaphor or is a word to describe Islam with all its actions, its rulings, its beliefs, and its, um, its framework, its history. All of that, all of Islam is as-sirat al-mustaqeen, the entirety of Islam. Now, when it comes to this straight path, this path or this journey that we have towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, There are three categories of people in regards to how they interact with this path. One of them are those that stayed correctly and straight on the path. They were obedient and they were conforming to all of its rules, regulations, advice, guidelines. Those are the ones Allah describes as Those Allah has blessed. There are two parties or two groups that went off the path. They initially perhaps had the correct direction, but they made mistakes. They made two different mistakes. The first group is called Al-Ladina, al those who earned Allah's displeasure. And the second one is Abdu'alleen, those who got lost, or who us-oh, yeah, those who got lost. Let's look at the first category: عليهم, those who earned Allah's displeasure. The scholars of tafsir say that this ayah is referring to the Jews. And specifically, one mistake that the Jews make or made, which Allah frequently refers to in the Qur'an, which is that the Jews were a very educated and scholarly people. They studied their testament, their scriptures, and they knew well that a new prophet was about to come, but they did not act on that knowledge. They were very scholarly and educated people in their religion, but that education did not help them because they didn't act on that knowledge. On the other hand, you have Abdaaline, those who got lost. The scholars say that this... Uh, That this particular ayah refers to the Christians. And that is because the Christians, it's not that they were very educated in their religion. Rather, they had a lot of ignorance to do with their religion. They revised and changed their, their scripture and their books. And so what happened was that the Christians and those similar to them, they had no ilm, they had no knowledge or they had less knowledge of their religion and on the other hand you have the the idea of the jews which as they had ilm they had knowledge but they just did not act on it they did not execute that knowledge and so you have the this shows us that there are two ways of losing our way of of becoming lost and misguided on the track or on the path to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the first is al-jahl ignorance is not having not learning about our religion not knowing what's right and wrong not knowing how to conduct our daily lives and not knowing who allah is this itself causes people to do what's called ibtida to invent things and make things up in the religion, because they just don't know better. The other one is to have the correct knowledge, but to not act on it, to not practice what we preach and not practice what we know. And both of these are two fundamental errors that took the Jews and Christians off the path, but also anybody similar to them. This ayah is referring to them and anybody who is similar to them, as is mentioned by Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah.